This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Soundbites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future, here on The Mark Steiner Show. Produced out of your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community here in Baltimore. And also broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7. Last week, I had a really interesting conversation on the Eastern Shore in Princess Anne, Maryland, with Delmarva citizens in a town hall meeting called A Game of Chicken. We met at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore to discuss poultry industry expansion, community health and local control, and hear how concerned citizens from throughout the Delmarva region are beginning to organize to keep their rural communities and local waterways healthy. People came from Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia to participate. Our panelists included Dr. Jillian Fry from the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, Dr. Kirkland Hall, a longtime member and former president of Somerset's NAACP chapter and the UMES chapter advisor. Maria Payan, consultant with the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project and who works with the Assateague Coastal Trust. And Backbone Corridor Neighborhood Association spokesperson, Lisa Inzarillo. This conversation was presented by the Assateague Coastal Trust and the Assateague Coastal Keeper. We are going to start tonight just kind of get an overview of where we are. Because what we have here tonight is um, people from neighborhoods and communities from four different states that are all kind of facing the same thing. And I think it's a pretty remarkable thing when people from Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia can be seated in the same place talking about the same issue to see where we're going. And so um, that is, is pretty powerful in itself, I think. So let, let me start um, with uh, talk about where we're going. And, and I, I guess, are we talking with you, Lisa? Um, just talk a bit about the update on, on Somerset, what's happening here, the Dave Williams story and more. Go ahead. We live on Backbone Road, about five miles from the city of Princess Anne. We found out in our neighborhood from our local farmers that uh, there were going to be poultry houses put in place. The way that works when they put a poultry house in, unless they need a variance, you're not going to know about it. It's just going to start going up. Somebody's bought the land, there's been no for sale sign. And when you look at what they're paying for the land, they're paying a bit more than what the properties are going for these days for farmland. So they're going to get this land from somebody and they're just going to put these poultry houses up and you're not going to know about it till they start construction. This gentleman needed a variance and of course our farmers came to everyone in the neighborhood which are our local farmers that farm most people's fields that don't farm them like myself and let us know what was getting ready to happen. And we're just so grateful that they did because they are true farmers. They're not somebody that's walking in and going to step on their neighbors. And if they came to any one of us and said, look, I'm sorry, we're, we own this property and we're going to have to put in four chicken houses. Even if they told us they were going to have to put in six chicken houses, they've, they've been good neighbors to us. And we would, we would let that happen. But they're also farmers that can use their land to spread that manure. They're not a farmer that walks in that doesn't operate his farm. He hires somebody. He has a small farm and he puts as many chicken houses as he can get on there. And does he look into his neighborhood? No, because the policy is just being a good neighbor and they don't really have to follow that with Delmarva poultry standards. They're not following a good neighbor policy or they'd go to door to door and they'd say, how about if we put six chicken houses, do you mind? No, they're just gonna walk in and do it because they have the right to do it. Because everything in our county and on our eastern shore pretty much is zoned ag-residential. And it's time that that needs to change because these are not the farmhouses that you and I grew up with. These are industrial scale with industrial exhaust, industrial damage, 
damage to our beautiful Chesapeake Bay and our waterways. When I found out that this, these six chicken houses uh, next door to my property can discharge water right into our ditch that goes right over to our Minokan branch and down to our Minokan River. And if any of you have seen the Minokan River at low tide, you can't get a kayak up it. So where is that coming from? That's coming from the 80 chicken houses within a three mile radius of my house and many more. And I have a poster that anyone's welcome to look at later on if you wanna see the location of my house. One lady has a daycare that she's one mile from 60 of those chicken houses. Now, cumulative effect of what's gonna to happen to children I think they're going to have allergies, they're going to have asthma, they're going to have sinusitis eventually, just like smoking, just like asbestos. We didn't know that those things were bad for us, but we certainly found out later on. And I don't want to have to live next to this densely populated area of poultry houses, watch my property value go down, watch that I cannot sit outside and enjoy a sandwich outside, or sit out and, and listen to the, the sound of the night and look at the stars because I'm gonna to have to listen to nonstop 16 poultry fans blowing my way. And my, my property I've tried to take care of, it's been a farm that's been in my family. My great grandfather left it to my grandmother and now I own it. My father and I owned it and then when he passed, I own it. So that's, that's where I stand. I see that it's time for a change. They need to stop walking all over us and saying, well, they have every right because they guarantee know they have every right and they use it. And we have none. And I don't find that right in America today to have no rights against this type of farming, industrial scale farming and our lifestyle. And I should be allowed to live in the country because that's where I grew up. I should not have to move and live in a housing development if I don't choose to. Lisa raised these issues um, around health. So let me just jump into that for a moment. And Dr. Jim Fry is on this panel, and uh, we have Dr. Kobe Wilson in the audience as well, who are both experts on these issues. So let me, Dr. Jim Fry, start with you. Just talk about when, when Liz, Lisa was talking about the idea that children can get sick, there could be health consequences. Could you kind of be very specific about what you think that what we know could be the consequences? Yes, I can. Uh, animal production is not inherently uh, detrimental to public health, but when you adopt an industrial model with extremely high animal density in one region, uh, then you're going to get environmental impacts and you're going to get public health impacts. So the top public health and environmental impacts that we're worried about is things coming off of, out of the house, out of the poultry houses, and uh, seeping out of the manure, either where it's stored or where it's spread on fields. Um, so let's start with the house. Um, you're all familiar with the poultry houses. They have the large industrial fans. When you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of birds in a few houses, uh, um, all together, 
you have those big fans that are circulating the air and very forcefully blowing that air out because the birds create their waste has so much ammonia that if those fans turn off if they lose power the birds will die so the gases that are being uh, released from the waste and released from the house um, to keep the birds healthy are going into the community Um, so ammonia is one of the top concerns also particulate matter Um, dust. It doesn't sound particularly harmful, but it is. It causes respiratory conditions um, like asthma. So you have all of these things in the air that are being forcefully pushed out into the community. Everyone in the community needs to breathe the air here. And then when you have too much manure for one region, it often gets overspread on cropland. So you have a certain amount of nutrients that crops need to grow. But if you are applying manure and you have to get rid of the manure, even if the soil already has too much phosphorus, which is the problem on the eastern shore and Delmarva in general, then when you spread the waste, that phosphorus goes right into the groundwater and the surface water and into Chesapeake Bay. One of the top concerns that I have as a public health scientist, I looked into the numbers, and on the Maryland portion of Delmarva, there are close to a quarter of a million people who rely on groundwater for their drinking water through private wells. If you rely on a private well for your drinking water, it is not regulated or monitored by any government entity. So you are responsible for testing that water, making sure that it meets drinking water standards. If you have high nutrients in your water, that has been linked to um, blue baby syndrome, which can be fatal for infants if the nitrates are very high. Also having high nitrates in your water has been linked to bladder cancer and other forms of cancer. There's all sorts of health issues that are associated with the types of things that people can be exposed to, either through contaminated air, contaminated water, contaminated soil. Um, And there's a whole list of health issues, including asthma, bronchitis, cancer, liver damage, thyroid problems. So the list goes on and on. Um, We're also very worried about worker health. There's a lot of um, uh, documented problems with workers who work in these houses because of the concentrated gases and concentrated particulate matter. But the workers are also exposed to a lot of pathogens, and the pathogens are likely to be resistant to antibiotic treatment. So that is one way that that can get into our community, and we don't want to shame poultry workers, but this is one way that it impacts communities. Um, The pathogens can also seep into the groundwater, and people can be exposed to them through their drinking water and also through recreation. Um, So that's just a quick overview of the top public health issues that can be caused by this type of industrial production with a very high animal density. Um, let me, let's, let, let's turn to Maria Payan uh, sitting next to me uh, from SRAP um, to talk a bit about Pennsylvania. I actually had the experience of living directly across the street from four broiler houses, a cattle feedlot with underground liquid manure storage, Um, uh, open manure pit for winter storage and there is 2,450 pigs up the street um, about a half mile as a crow flies. Where is this? I am from Delta, Pennsylvania, which is southern New York County. Um, I have been in communities from New York to Delaware, Maryland, uh, a lot of the northeastern communities, Virginia, um, and you hear the same story. When you go into neighborhoods, 
you hear the same story, and it is um, a story of shock, of disbelief. Um, I'm watching a woman in the front row here. I was at her house this weekend, and I told uh, Kathy when we left, she is in the stage of disbelief because I went through all of these emotions. All of a sudden, you know, you're in a beautiful agriculture area. These people know what agriculture is. Most of them have been around agriculture their entire lives. (laughs) So now somebody comes in and wants to put some type of a permit, and this is not, this is really important. This is not your family farms with one or two chicken houses that has been the model in Chesapeake Bay for decades. This is brand new. These are businessmen. These are absentee farmers who are coming in and putting in 10 houses on a parcel, 20 houses on a parcel. These are CAFO developers. This is not anyone with a connection to the land. And one of the things that I have to say is there is a resentment that is going on and it's being whispered in the background because the family farms that help to build these industries are not getting the same deal that these CAFO developers are. And that needs to be said. They are being cut out of the pie. And it's not right. Um, You know, the poultry contract grower, it is not a very profitable life for the most part. 70% of them make below the poverty line. And another perfect example from the same community I was in last week, a businessman who has multiple businesses wants to put six houses across the street from them. And he told her that the reason he's doing it was because his accountant told him he needed a loss to offset his profits. Think about that. What does that tell me? Two things. It confirms what I just said, that poultry farmers don't make any money, the contract farmers. The industry makes the money on their backs. The second thing that it confirms is that This is not a neighborly thing to do and someone who cares about their community. You don't turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to destroy your health, your property value, your environment, your quality of life, because I need a write-off. It's insulting, and it needs to be said. Now, what I will say is I have seen communities empower themselves, and the process you go through is utter shock and disbelief that this is allowed to be happening. Then you call up your state agencies and your government, who you thought have always had your back and been looking out for you, and you find out they're holding hands with industry, in the most part. Um, Then it comes to where you have research that fills up your kitchen table to where you can't eat on it for a year. Jane's laughing. She knows she was with me. (laughs) But this is true. So you reach out, and thank God there are organizations out here that take you by the hand and they empower you, and they teach you how to manipulate through the system, how to get information, how to public comment, how to find people who can help do all of this. And this is where when you have education and control over the situation, you are empowered. And this is what this is all about tonight. I will tell you that the people in this room, I have known most of them probably between eight and 10 years, and every one of them, is as dedicated as the next. These people care 
I mean, it'll be Christmas Eve, and they're on the phone and on the computer getting you information if you have a hearing the next day. I'm getting goosebumps, but this is the kind of organizations that, and the quality of people. Now, it's important to realize we just did something in Cadoris Township in York County, Pennsylvania, which was we passed a health permit, a health ordinance. And let me tell you why we did this. When you go to zoning, zoning looks at, okay, say someone wants to put an application in. They're going to look at just that side of the house and what's there, make sure that they're set back if it's, you know, 100 feet from this. But nobody takes into account the density and the cumulative impact. Um, For example, years ago, and I was just showing this to Mark, all these biosecurity setbacks, the industry years ago would not put 10 chicken houses a quarter of a mile away from 10 chicken houses because of spread of disease. Avian flu hits, and watch, Iowa has just shown us the disasters of this. It's not safe, it's irresponsible, and I've been screaming about this for the past six months in Delaware and everywhere. So what the health ordinance does is it addresses public health, things that regular regulations don't take into account. So this ordinance, it calls for getting a health permit. That has to be renewed every five years. Um, Black lights have to be put in to kill the pathogens. Biofilters have to be put on. And there are setbacks depending on class. So if you have a class one CAFO here, you can't put another class one within two miles for the protection of the spread of pathogens and disease. And again, we're not telling people you can't build, you know, what you want to build. We're telling them, yes, you can build, but you're going to have to take precautions and think about your neighbors because their public health is important and can't be ignored. Thank you, Maria. I'm going to turn our panelist here, Dr. Kirkland Hall. And just your thoughts on this. I mean, there's a lot on your plate as an organization and work. Well, let me preface my comments first. Uh, uh, I love chicken. Uh, I love a piece of fried chicken, so I want to make that clear first. However, I'll second that. However, <laughs> however, I, I believe that uh, it has been taken to the extreme, especially in uh, Somerset County and other neighboring co- counties. And what I find surprising, or what I, I don't know why I should be surprised, that from Northampton County, Somerset to Worcester, to Sussex County, Delaware, we all are experiencing the same issues and same problems as it relate to the poultry industry. Uh, Somerset County, where you are today, the beautiful campus of the U.S. Merrill Eastern Shore, uh, we have always uh, been the poorest county in the state of Maryland. Unemployment has traditionally been the highest in the state of Maryland. And it seems to me I'm a 21-year former member of the Somerset County Planning and Zoning uh, until they kicked me off a few years ago because I disagreed with some of their local ordinances as it related to uh, Chicken houses, this just didn't start. This started uh, uh, years ago. But what they have done, uh, any time there's a shortfall in the county, which we've been for generations, uh, the county officials always seem seem to come up with an idea that will impact the lives negatively of its citizens. 
First, uh, it was ECI the prison. I know some of you may work in prisons. Again, I'm sorry. I've got relatives there. I know there's a need. There's a need. But when they first put ECI in this county, they said we have no more than 1,900 inmates. That was the total amount. A few years later, they have well over 3,000. And the number is increasing. So they had an uproar about the high number of inmates at ECI. So now we're down to now more poultry houses. Uh, where we are sitting about two miles as far as the crow flies down the street, uh, there's a plan. Uh, I think there's already six chicken houses in that area. It's called Backbone Road. Now they're talking about 14 or 15 more houses there. And my concern, how close it is to this campus. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering where, where the uproar is from UMES, where I've been working for 40 years and no one is saying anything about that, the increase of those chicken houses. To take it a little further, as the young lady, uh, Dr. Fry just mentioned, the health issues in this county, not only asthma, not only bronchitis, uh, and other, but COPD is there is rapidly increasing in, in, in our community. We have more gray-headed people like myself, in right, uh, uh, Teddy, living in Somerset County. So there are issues, and yet, with all the research, that this organization has set forth some reason somehow the county refuses to listen. We went to a planning zoning meeting over a couple months ago, Maria, and one of the members on that board said, if you want to live in Somerset County, you're going to smell some manure, whether you like it or not. Not because, I mean, I want to smell it. I grew up on the farm. I, don't, I mean, I want to smell it now. But yet, it's their intent, and they're going to be they're going to fight it to the hilt, and that's the custom of this county. Now, the president of WSCP for years, we had six lawsuits against Somerset County on constitutional issues. Everyone else has already changed their policies, but it's kind of one until it went to court. So now it seems like we're at the same, uh, in the same boat again, that it's going to take court decisions, and I worry about that too, because we're talking about, you know, chickens, and some of the richest folk in, in, in the county, uh, you know, raised chickens, and then those who work on the chicken farms, are, as Maria just said a few minutes ago, are living in poverty. Uh, I read uh, this article from John Hopkins Center for Live of a Future. I don't know whether you went through this or not, but Bloomberg School of Public Health. Somerset County, get this, in 2012, that was an inventory of 14.9 million broilers, the largest of any county in Maryland, the sixth largest in the United States. We only had 24,000 people in, in, in the county. Now, you divide 24,000 into 14.9 14 million, you say how many chickens per person. <laughs> but yet, the people in the county, only what we benefit is fried chicken on Sunday afternoons. But as far as revenue uh, going into the pockets of, of individuals, mm -hmm. it, it's not happening. And now that we have so many people in Canada that are unemployed, not only that, they're, they're working on contracts, making a few dollars an hour with no medical benefits. 
but yet they want to increase the probability of someone getting sick, someone passing away because of lack of health benefits, and yet the increase of the, the, the poetry innocent. I don't see it improving the standard of living of, of folk in the county. Not at all. Certain people are getting the benefits, mm -hmm. and yet we, the poor citizens, are suffering. Are suffering. We are one of the smallest counties in the nation, but yet we rank number six as far as poetry production. That should tell you something. With that, thank you. Thank you. That's all. You're listening to A Game of Chicken, a town hall conversation I moderated last week in Princess Anne, Maryland, with the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, with contract chicken growers and concerned citizens mobilizing against the expansion of CAFOs, which stands for Concentrated Animal Feeding Operations on the Eastern Shore. We will bring you more of this conversation when we return. Stay with us. This is Mark Steiner, and you listen to Sound Bites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and the future here on The Mark Steiner Show, produced out of your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of community, and also broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. This hour, we're listening to A Game of Chicken, a town hall discussion I moderated last week at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore in Princess Anne, Maryland. Citizens who are concerned about the health, environmental, and economic consequences of the expansion of concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs, joined together in a town meeting on the Eastern Shore. Our panelists included Dr. Julian Fry from the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future, Dr. Kirkland Hall, past president of the Somerset NAACP branch, Maria Payan, consultant with the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project and the Aztec Coastal Trust, and Backbone Corridor Neighbors Association spokesperson, Lisa Inzarillo. Conversation was presented by the Asti Coastal Trust and the Asti Coast Keeper. Let's jump right back into the conversation. I think we've really not heard about Delaware yet. Which one of you wants to introduce yourself and just tell a bit about what is happening here in Delaware? Well, in Delaware, we're talking uh, about a new processing plant. So, your chicken houses that are being built down here are going to be feeding that plant up there before it hits your table. To my knowledge, it takes about seven gallons of water to process a chicken, and that water will be coming in, dumped out into a creek, and the creek into the river, and in front of my front pier. So, not too happy about it, but we've been trying through the court system, and when this first came out back in June of 2013, we had a little town hall meeting, and uh, this little lady was uh, sitting in a room. I picked her to ask a question in front of the uh, agriculture secretary, and I didn't know who she was. Well, it ended up it was Maria. And <laughs> he wanted to, uh, before the meeting started, he said, uh, you know, I said to everybody in the 
fire hall. I said, uh, yeah, everybody gets their questions answered before we move on to the next topic. Well, the secretary wanted to move on and uh, I kind of lambasted him a bit and Maria kept talking. <laughs> but we've been told with this 12 million gallons of water that they want to put into this creek that it'll be clean. Well, even if it's clean, 12 million gallons of water is going to change the ecosystem of my brackish water. So I won't have minnows for bait. I won't have crabs. There's eagles, a couple of eagles' nests that live right across the creek from this. It's, it's not, to me, it's ruining our livability. Uh, most of the people in my development have shallow wells. When I say shallow, some from 25 feet to 50 feet. And I probably have the deepest well at 100 feet, but I had to get a system to take the rust out, or the iron, I should say. But yeah, it's going to affect everything. Let, let me let me take a wander over to um, Northampton, and, and here they're here as well. My name is Bob Myers from Northampton County, just near Exmoor, and the doctor Kurt made made it a very interesting comment about the first thing that uh, people are doing when they're trying to find an economic solution for us. We were the poorest county in Virginia, and the first thing they come up with, believe it or not, was a prison. And then the next thing they came up with was chicken factories. And that's what we're facing right now. And from York, really the only way to control this is through proper zoning. And unfortunately, we have a majority of our Board of Supervisors who are trying to ram through zoning which is preferential to the chicken factory and the industry. And we're doing our best to try to educate them in the health impacts. We, at the last meeting, uh, we read the letter from Johns Hopkins that was ignored by the Somerset County uh, supervisors that went to the uh, Department of Health in, uh, in Somerset County. And we are hoping that they're going to listen to it and pay a little attention. Uh, it's, it seems to be a problem. There's this, this lure of money of we're going to provide jobs, but nobody ever talks about the quality of living. You know, it's, well, we think that we can get votes if we provide jobs, but there's no discussion about the quality of living or the benefits to the county. We have an enormous tomato industry in, uh, in uh, the Virginia Eastern Shore. But does that income come to the county? It doesn't. It goes to the uh, uh, tomato growers in Florida or other places. It doesn't come to the county. And we have a, these industries that people think are so great, they're going to solve all the problems, they never stop to look at the whole picture and the impact and what they're considering. I would like to see an impact uh, or environmental study uh, for any kind of industry, regardless of what it is, to try to get people to start thinking about the whole picture and looking for unintended consequences, because it's the unintended consequences that always seem to jump up and bite us. Dr. Wilson has something to say, so Kobe Wilson. Just to respond to the previous commenter, I think a lot of these issues that we're talking about, when you have a new facility being built, there should be a requirement that all facilities, there has to be a health impact assessment 
done in advance of that facility being built. So, so that should be in actually the pre-permitting phase, the pre-construction phase to allow for real meaningful uh, engagement of communities to know, okay, you need to know what the baseline health issues before you bring that in because getting this concept of cumulative impacts is the number of animals per facility plus the density of those facilities in a certain area plus the number of contaminants that are emitted to the air. So it's the, it's the mixture, chemical mixtures in the air. So we're talking about volatile granite compounds, ammonia, hydrogen sulfide you're being exposed to. Plus, it's the media. So we, as uh, Dr. Frost said, you've been exposed to the air. You then are exposed to nutrients to the water. You can be exposed through soil, particularly uh, soil dust that's brought into the house. Then you're exposed to the dust in your homes. And then if you're gardening as well uh, in your homes, you could be exposed to some of those contaminants that way. And then you're exposed to multiple pathways, right? So you have inhalation, uh, ingestion, and dermal exposure. And then when you bring in some of these psychosocial stressors, poverty. Some people, uh, because immune systems may be compromised, because they have limited resources, they may be less resilient to those exposures, right? So there's science out there that's getting to those issues, and the science needs to be more advanced to support this, but that's why there really needs to be more, more focused on the health impact assessment and changing the zoning. I mean, this zoning is really, I always say from an environmental justice perspective, power, privilege, and isms are embedded in how we zone, plan, and develop, right? Who has power, who has privilege is really embedded. So you got more power and privilege, you're gonna make the zoning set up to benefit yourself. That's what you're hearing in these stories. The zoning is not being set up to benefit the people and to protect the health and the future generations and protect quality of life. It's really benefiting uh, sort of these mythical economic interests. This sort of jobs versus environment argument. But in many cases, these jobs are not good jobs, they're not living wage jobs, there's not good economic opportunity structures being created, bodies, industries coming in. So Think about what you're really talking about. We're talking about environmental terrorism. People being terrorized, right, by the way they're being treated, the lack of power, the way the laws are set up. So we need to use the law and some of these processes to really create a better balance between the economic interests and also the public health concerns that many of the citizens today and who've been talking about these issues for, for you know, over 20 years. And then just the last point, there was a moratorium placed on industrial hog farms in North Carolina uh, 15 years ago, I think. It didn't work out as well as we thought it was gonna work out. But that could be a way for a moratorium to be placed on any building a new, any new houses to allow time for the research to be done and then for what are the best management practices that need to be implemented to address these issues around the gases that come from the confinement houses, also the nutrients that have been you know, uh, running off from the spray fields. And so, and then how can that information be translated into policies that are gonna provide that balance that I just talked about before? Some issues have been raised here, and I just want to kind of look at some of them. And I think a lot of the farmers, and I've, that I know a lot of them, and have interviewed a whole lot of them, and been in their places and homes, and these are also men and women who grew up on the land for three, four, five generations. And poultry houses, growing chickens, is the way the agriculture works at this moment in our history. It didn't used to, 50 years ago it was very different, but that's where we are now. How do we fit that in to the conversation about the men and women and families who own those farms and what they do, as opposed to what you were talking about earlier. Who, I think it was you, Maria, who talked about uh, CAFOs being a, is it, these are new industrial corporate CAFOs, absentee, absentee landlords. I think you said that, right, Maria? Yeah. So there's a difference. So, I mean, is there a difference? So how do you parse that out? You know, it's a very hard way to distinguish this. Other than one way, these farmers today are buying small parcels, paying a lot of money for them, more than they're worth putting these huge complexes on there, they can't even use their manure. 
that bothers me that they're going to produce a lot of manure and expect us, the taxpayers, to pay to move this manure, to pay to figure out the idea while the poultry industry, DPI, and all the poultry corporations stand by and just go, well, let the farmers handle it. That's not fair to even let the farmers have to handle this. They, they only own the manure from these poultry houses. Mortality, Mortality and manure. You know, that's unfair. It's a win-win for large poultry all the way around. They walk up and say, go ahead, build your poultry farm. But you know, they don't, maybe they don't have anyone to talk to that can say, let's see how you're gonna make out in, in 10 years from now. You've, you've built a million dollar farm. Okay, they're gonna keep you tied to that farm because in say five years, they're gonna say, you need a whole new heating system in that farm. Well, you need to go to farm credit and fork out another $50,000 or 40,000, whatever it is. But they're gonna continue to do that. And you know what? If you say no, oh, your contract is severed. So it's, it's something that more farmers, I believe, need to be involved in. You know, because I don't have all the answers and you can't get them off of the internet and you can't get it from Purdue, I don't think I could go in there and ask all these questions that I have and get answers, which I would truly like to have. But it's fear for the poultry farmer, and I don't think that's right. There's a lot of things that aren't right, and it's due to the industry and the way they behave. When the industry developed, it would be fair to say that nobody knew how it would impact the environment and how it would impact public health. Dr. Jillian Fry from the Center for a Livable Future. In this region, we have more science about the impacts of this form of food production because of the proximity to the Chesapeake Bay. No other watershed has the level of scientific attention and research that we have here. And when you know better, you do better. So it is true that poultry growers um, a significant proportion of poultry growers are a victim in this system. But our government agencies continue to use, as Lisa was saying, taxpayer money to just chip away at the problem and make it a little bit less harmful by instituting best management practices and trucking poultry manure to other areas where there's not as much phosphorus in the soil as there is. But what if we use that taxpayer money to instead develop a, f a food production system on Delmarva that worked with natural systems that said, this is how this is the level of nutrients we need to grow crops here, so then let's calculate the, the animal density we can handle based on that. We are located in a region where there's so much demand for locally responsibly produced regional food. And if we use, if we just changed our direction a bit and got stakeholders together to develop a different kind of food system here, poultry could be a, a slice of the, of the agricultural system here, but we wouldn't be so dependent on it. And the way that we're so dependent on it, it's not resilient or sustainable for the economy on Delmarva and the Eastern Shore, and it's not uh, resilient or sustainable for the agricultural system. Uh, the good doctor just made, made some very cogent points, and I hope everybody was listening. Dr. Kirkland Hall, former president of the Somerset County NAACP and advisor to the UMES chapter. But one of the things that I found out through my years of living in Somerset County uh, some of our leaders, and I say most county commissioners throughout the years, have been very resistant to any scientific studies, any scientific research. 
Whatever you put on the table, they're going to say, well, it does not apply to us. It applies somewhere else. And Mia, Maria has said that so many times. And it, it seems like that has always been the problem. And as Dr. Fry just, just mentioned, it could be a profitable give and take. However, if they take time, they could bring other stakeholders to the table. Look at the, look at the experts who have done the research on this problem and take that information and then build whatever is, you know, that the county can, can, can withstand. I don't think we have this problem. But it's resistance to research, to scientific studies, is our biggest problem. I want to add uh, something about the contract farms and the discussion that we're having um, where the farms that contract with um, the industry, they are in something. It's different from some of the other animals that they grow that's a tournament system, and Carol probably can address this um, better than I can. But this system takes all the growers in one region and basically puts them in a tournament against each other. So if you have a base price that you are paid, depending on where you rank in this tournament, you get above the base price or you get below the base price. Now, you own the mortality and you own the, thank you, crap. And the mortgage. Now, I will tell you, and I'm saying it because I know numerous contract growers who won't say it because of retaliation, which is something that likes to be played. Because you only get paid for the live birds, if you speak out, they give you sick birds. And yes, they do. I've seen videos of birds brought to growers that spoke. So there's a reason they don't speak. But I am going to be their voice tonight because people need to understand this. They are forced to upgrade continuously or they will not renew their contract. Why? Because they have to go back to the bank, take another $150,000 to upgrade their water systems, bigger fans, smaller light bulbs, brighter light, you know, build up, seal up the walls. Keep sending them, sending them, sending them. You know why? As long as they are in debt, they are in contract. They have put their family sharecropping. They have put their family farm that has been for generations in this family, and they have an attachment to this land. They are not going to lose that. And this makes them serfs on their own land. And it needs to be said, and if the growers can't say it, I can and I will. And I want people to realize this. Now, what we're seeing, these new developments, these industrial scale CAFO developers, it's a little different contracts that I'm hearing from some of the contract growers. And um, the ones that built up these corporations are now left behind because it doesn't fit the business plan anymore. Um, one other thing I would like to add to this is that we were talking about current um, regulations and being accountable. Delaware has one CAFO NPDES permit. One. And what does NDPES mean? National Pollution Discharge Elimination System permit. This means when you go and you now being with the new regs from we're going back five years ago, they have supposed to have been permitting these. 
They have done one in five years. Now they want to double up production. And we have, somebody sent me an email last week where our Secretary of Agriculture, Ed Key, had a statement in there uh, that compared the EPA to terrorists, except you can negotiate with terrorists. Now, this comes from a man who's 440 permits behind and communities that are suffering over there. Enough. There's so many questions here I think that I, I want to kind of throw out. And I, one of the things that started this meeting out in the first place was the CAFOs that are owned from the outside moving into people's communities in these large, huge developments of CAFOs. That's very different even what most farmers do on the Eastern Shore. The, what about that? And what about the process around the zoning and the fights you all are having around that? Because those, the, the, in, immediately... That's the issue. I mean, I think you said a moment ago, uh, Dr. Wilson, about um, uh, maybe it's time for a moratorium. But is, I mean, that's the issue that brought all of you together here tonight. I mean, that, that seems to me to be the, the, the companies can come in and they can just pick up and leave. They can do whatever they want and they're really hard to go after because they're not, uh, they're not Mr. Purdue who lives up the road. They live somewhere else. Who knows where they live? So that is what brought you all together. So how is that? Go ahead, Kathy. Actually, I'd like to ask a question to help, hopefully answer that. I know we have some, I believe we have some members from the poultry industry in the back of the room. Maybe they can explain what the um, financial system is, the, this, you know, the bonuses that certain growers get if they build a certain number of houses and what type of perks they get, certain growers get from um, the industry as opposed to the older uh, established growers that are out there. Yeah, I'm Joe Fair. I live in Cape Charles, Virginia. And just to follow up on what Mr. Myers stated, that Cape Charles, while we don't have active poultry production, we have an extremely robust aquaculture production. We have the greatest number of clam aquaculturalists in the nation working out of Northampton County and these folks demand clean water and aside from the zoning issues that the county is attending to it seems like there's a possibility that one industry may be sacrificed for another and that would be a terrible loss for the eastern shore of Virginia. Well I said we, we've covered in our program a lot of the new oyster and clam industry and a lot of people who have been watermen for generations and generations and generations and generations are now farming oysters and clam and they are that's the filter that makes the, that keeps our water healthy is what you're saying right right and that that's an industry that could really grow and explode because they need clean water they need clean water it's as simple as that sir and garland hayward from somerset county 65 years and yeah i being from this county and living in a rural area, they when you get the smell of manure, that's it, the smell of manure means money. But uh, right now, I think the problem is uh, the people and the citizens need to be educated. Uh, they need to be educated even as to what type of questions they need to ask when they come to a, uh, when they come to a meeting. They also need to be educated as to how, just how, this affects the health of the individuals, of the, the, the citizens of, of the county. 
And we, when you're constantly beat with, you're the poorest county, you're the most unhealthy county, you, these kind of things, uh, then when they bring any type of industry in and say, well, we're gonna bring some jobs in, all, you, you want, all the people wanna hear is jobs. But they don't go deeply into the effect that will have on the health and welfare of those individuals. So I think it's about education. We need to educate the people of, of the county as to the, it's, it's the, the, the way of farming today, the poultry house are cha is changing from that single poultry house. Now you're going to multiple poultry houses. And I've learned something just listening to you right now. Thank you. So uh, how, how do you, let me ask you this question. So how do you think that process has to start? Which one? Education. Well, we, we need more forums. Uh, we need try to get to the people. We have to find a way to get the people into places like this. I, if you would ask where the people from tonight, I, I would bet you that it's not a whole lot of people from the, the immediate area that's really being affected by what's taking place now. How you doing? Um, my name is Dennis Ridge, and I live in Westover. And um, we've lived in the county for 12 years now. Um, we love it down here. Um, we came to the Eastern Shore from Northern Virginia in 1980. And we've learned a lot about living in the country. Addressing Mr. Hall and his comments, we just recently went through an experience with the county commissioners wanting wind turbines, industrial wind turbines to come in our community. And through outreach and through the community getting together and the good work of EJ was one lady who got the organization together to um, educate us all. Did a lot of work. We had um, DVDs. We had um, a lot of educational material about the health problems, the, um, the jobs that we're going to bring in, all these great things that it was going to do for Somerset County. The problem that you brought up came to a head, and it actually ended up as an ethics thing, that there are so many people in power down here that have, they're all their relatives are here. Everybody works hand in hand, and, and they get, I would, I would go far say that they are getting some sort of subsidy from somebody to put these terrible ideas through. And, um, uh, you know, during that whole ordeal, there were several projects, like you said, with the ECI, but there were several projects back through time that when we weren't here that were put on the board, and the same thing happened. People started finding out about the health issues and the uh, impact it would have on the community and our way of life, and it was like, no. And, and you know, something happened. And amazingly, it wasn't really the local people as much as what happened as the government says, hey, you know, these things are gonna interfere with the radar protection of our coast, and they shut it down. Well, now they're going into some other big um, industrial uh, type things. Uh, I think it was uh, looking at solar now. And, uh, and there's issues about that coming up, about 
whether people are going to be able to farm their land with all these solar panels and stuff on them. But see, they have a slick way. And this lady, I uh, was talking, uh, the lady from Pennsylvania. Maria, Maria. She was talking about that. They have slick ways of making their contracts. And, and you know, people say, oh, well, they come in. You got poor farmers. They got people to, you know, their families to feed. They got land to pay uh, and groceries to buy, just like we do. And they're going to say, "Well, geez, this is a good idea. We got this. This is going to make us some money. We're going to we're going to have a subsidy, so we get." And I don't think it's I don't think it's got a chance of going away until uh, we get to the bottom of the thing. And and that's greed. These corporations have so much greed and so much money and so many lawyers and so much political pull that us group of people here tonight, we better get together and we better hold tight because I tell you, we're divided, we fall. I'm telling you. Ma'am. I'm E.J. Monheiser from Safer Somerset and we have a Safer Somerset website. Uh, it's for the spirit of Somerset County and I'm getting ready to add a section on solar as well as wind and also for the factory farms, the manure burners, anything we've got that's coming against us, it'll be on that website. It'll take me a couple of weeks, possibly a month. <laughs> I'm working on it, gals, but we'll have it on there. So it's, it's safeforsummerset.org. Thanks for listening to Soundbites today. We're going to bring you the rest of this conversation, a game of chicken, next week. So send me your thoughts and questions on part one of this conversation to talk at steinershow.org. The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by the Town Creek Foundation. Our producers are Stephanie Mavronis and Mark Gunnery. Our engineers, Andre Melton. Our engineer, Delmarva Public Radio, is Christopher Rank. Our interns are Minifa Wilson, Calvin Perry, and Sianna Greaves. Our theme music is by Juan Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send your thoughts about today's show to talk at steinershow.org podcast The Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends, visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. You can also learn more about Soundbites and listen to past episodes at soundbitesradio.org. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care. Take care.